The following is brought to you by Braided Media. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Narratives of Purpose. My name is Claire Morigande. I am your host on this show. And my goal is to amplify social impact by bringing you inspiring individual stories of ordinary people who are making extraordinary social impact within their communities or around the world. So if you're looking for a program that showcases unique stories of change makers, stories of people who are contributing to make a difference in society, and at the same time, you want to get inspired to take action, then this podcast is definitely for you. This October, we dive into a new theme, which is healthcare access in Africa. Now, it is a broad theme, I grant you that. So I decided to address it from two perspectives throughout this month with two different guests working in the private sector. First, from the pharmaceutical industry side, and second, from a market access consulting firm's perspective. And of course, most importantly, through the personal journeys of my guests. Today, I speak with Ndeyi Makalu. She is Senior Director, Product Strategy Leader for Global Supply Chain at Roche Genentech, based in San Francisco. In our discussion, Ndeyi shares her passion for developing health systems in Africa and emerging markets, but also the work she performed driving access for cancer treatments in sub-Saharan Africa. Do take a moment to rate and to review our show on your preferred podcast listening app. But for now, listen to Ndeyi's journey on enhancing access to treatments to breast cancer patients across Africa. So, hello Ndeyi. And welcome to the podcast. It's really a pleasure for me to have you on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Claire, and thank you so much for having me. So you're joining me from, from California, where you live, but actually your journey did not start in California. It started in Senegal, and you are a pharmacist. You have been working for the past 20 years, if I'm not mistaken, in the pharmaceutical industry, and you've had um, roles within drug development, clinical operations, global supply chain. So I'm curious to know what brought you to, to do what you do today. Can you tell me more about your background? Or in other words, how would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Thank you, Claire. And you're absolutely right. Um, yes, I'm from Senegal, uh, but I'd like to define um, uh, myself, first of all, as a mother. So I'm a mother of two boys, amazing boys, um, and uh, living here in San Francisco for the last uh, 20 years since I joined this company that I'm in right now. Um, yes, I'm a pharmacist and uh, I have had these different roles that you have mentioned, including um, a role in market access, but also in the commercial um, sales and marketing and business development as well. Um, how did I get to this role I am in right now? It's just, you know, my curiosity has always driven me. When I went to, uh, to pharmacy school, it was never in my head that uh, after I get my degree, I will be in a pharmacy uh, dispensing medicine. That's not really, wasn't my idea. I was more uh, interested into research, but also, okay, how do we make medicine and bring it to patient? And that's um, 
that curiosity that has driven me to this different role. And I'm really very, very lucky and very grateful to have had all of these opportunities to grow and learn about, you know, the, the value chain of a pharma company. You just mentioned that you didn't see yourself dispensing medicine, but still you you had some roles in market access. So to some extent, you were also, you know, about providing medicines to people, you know, but just from a different angle. And you also describe yourself as someone who is passionate about market access. So how is that? And where does your passion come from? My passion really came from my years in pharmacy school, the last years of pharmacy school, when I was doing internship in a teaching hospital in Dakar. Uh, I was getting ready for my thesis. And as part of the program, I had to do an internship. And um, so I did an internship in a couple of areas in the in that hospital, hospital of Dantec, uh, in the maternity ward in Senegal, and uh, as well as in the laboratory of bacteriology and virology lab. Um, and then in that, in those situations, I I was exposed to women's issues, right, and to the challenges, and also being exposed to the health system, how it is, at least in my country. And that's really where it started, right, like that passion's like, my gosh, I, I really would like to do something one day. I had the opportunity to come to the U.S. and working into different institutions even before I get into the pharmacy, uh, pharma, pharma industry. I was at MD Anderson Cancer Center as well. Uh, and during when I was working there, I used to during my lunchtime and sit at the top floor. This is the biggest cancer center in the world. Um, on the top floor is like a very beautiful, peaceful garden place where the cancer patient will sit and uh, just relaxes, you know, and I used to just go there and sit with them and I used to talk to cancer patients and I'm just looking at them and, um, you know, that just like solidified my passion. I just wanted to understand how can we do something? How can we, um, do we make medicine to help patients? But particularly my heart was always back in Africa. You just said right now that you used to speak with cancer patients. You know, what was that experience like and what did you learn from them, from those discussions that you had? I learned a couple of things. Human being, how resilient we are. And number two, and I always knew this, you know, uh, being grateful for what you have and appreciating your health because it's not something that you should take for granted. And when I was talking to those people, like this, the strength they have, they, the, you know, even going through it, and it's hard, you know, going through cancer. And go, you see patients, I've even seen young people, really like kids going through chemotherapy, but the spirit they have, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at them, stalking and learning so much from them. And I'm like, what, what am I complaining about? And that always kept me going every time, even like when you go through these, trying to bring access to medicine to patients, uh, when things are hard, I always think about those people, right? Because the patient doesn't have anybody and they don't want to know about our challenges. They just want medicine to make them feel better. And so that's what I learned from them, really, that resilience and also, you know, being grateful. So coming back to access to medicine, and especially now you're speaking about cancer patient, you also mentioned that you, you worked within market access, but you also spent um, four years working across sub-Saharan Africa. So you were based in the U.S. and then you, for the same company, you worked this time on, on a different country. So tell me a bit about how that started and what motivated you to do that. 
what what motivated me, you know, I spent quite a lot of time in the company working into different area. And like I said earlier, I wanted to really understand the value chain of pharma, right? What is driving, what are the activities that I've been doing and who's involved into making medicine for patient. And in that process, you know, um, you know, like I got to work into different organization and uh, before I went to Africa, I was into research and development, doing drug development um, from when we filed the initial new drug application to when we get to the phase three, go for a bigger clinical trial. And that was in the department I was in. So, and I did it for different um, for, for different uh, therapeutic area. And uh, I always wanted to know, okay, well, now that I know this, how do we take the medicine to market and how do we take it to patient? Those are the two questions that I had. And it happened that, you know, during that time, I was, uh, I went back to Senegal because my mom was very ill in the hospital. So I went by her side to help her. And in that experience, I also get to see even how worse the health system had become. And uh, me being there as an advocate and having the resources to help her out, I could see the situation and I was really very touched by that. Um, I, you know, and unfortunately I ended up not being able to help her. She didn't make it. And I remembered promising her that one day I'm going to do something and I want to, I want to help others that I did promise. Uh, so when I came back to home, uh, to when I came back to California, to the company, I started asking questions, what is this company doing in Africa? Uh, I was so passionate and so determined asking everybody. And one led to another. I keep talking to people and all of a sudden there's this big town hall in our organization talking about the Roche access strategy in Africa. I was like, whoa. And, you know, I went to the presentation. I saw some horrible picture of women with breast cancer in Africa and what was happening to them. And I couldn't just, um, I couldn't just like sit back and do nothing. And that was the, that was the opportunity, uh, and I looked for the role that I could play, uh, and it required me to go back to Africa. I didn't expect that. <laughs> I didn't expect that they would ask me to go back, um, but that was uh, the requirement. Uh, so I, you know, with the support of my family, of my husband, uh, I was able to go back, and that's how I went um, with the company and went back to. I ended up being in Ivory Coast and um, leading the implementation effort of the Roche Access Strategy in Africa, and that in that process is was all about working with government, with the healthcare professionals, anybody who's involved into the um, uh, cancer management uh, and in the patient journey, and just like help them understand, okay, what, what, what does a patient journey look like? What are the gaps and what can we do together and co-creating solution for the patient? It feels like a huge task, so to speak, because you needed to engage with so many different stakeholders and identify also the patient journey. And I absolutely assume that, you know, we're talking about a whole continent, but every country is different. And even within a country, I don't, know if they're like, you know, standardized um, systems. So can you perhaps tell me or give me a few examples of things that you were successfully able to implement? And how did you come to, you know, bring people together to make that happen? Yes. Um, and you're right. You know, every country is different and culture plays a big role uh, in each of the different country, even though there's many similarity. Um, and, uh, 
each country is at a different level, right? In terms of the health system that they have. And, you know, for me, um, I always believe that women in Africa should get the same access as women in the US and EU, within the EU. If we have a medicine and we have diagnostics, testing, that we can bring to that, to that you know, part of the world, let's work together and, um, and, 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 and find a solution. But it required really a, a good understanding, first of all, from the, all the stakeholders of what we are talking about. And what we realize, like, you know, sometimes, you know, yes, the doctors know what cancer is. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have, they understand uh, how to manage breast cancer. Because we don't have like many oncologists in Africa, at least at that time, right? That was like four or five years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, like when you, when you go in there, the first thing that we needed to do, first of all, is educate. So educating people on the disease, even like the partnership with the government and support them to develop cancer, uh, cancer control uh, plan and having a budget behind that uh, was absolutely crucial. So that's the first thing that we have done really. And uh, helping them understand what is the economic impact of cancer in their country. So again, it all goes back to education, educating them on that, first of all, right? You know, in Africa, you have like, I mean, 16% of all cancer um, is is with breast cancer. And about 10% or 10 to 11% is come from cervical cancer, right? So because that's, we had the medicine, we had the testing, we have the instrument in to be able to, to, to address that. So that's what we focus on. But we needed to, even that this statistic that I'm giving, we needed to provide it to the government and help them like come up with like some health technology assessment to help them understand what's the economic impact of cancer. But also you have like the healthcare professional, like you have the doctors, you have the surgeon, you have the, you know, if you find oncologists, sometimes you don't find oncologists, but you have like the general, the general uh, doctors. Uh, we needed to, to teach them about breast cancer management. We needed to teach the pharmacists about our product, right? The product that we have. We have like also the technician, the lab, the laboratory technicians. We needed to provide that capability building. So teaching them and then sending them to training in South Africa because we have a lab there. Um, so that's the first thing we have done. You know, like that, that's the second thing. The first thing was the partnership with the government, understanding why it is important to address cancer and what is the cost of not addressing cancer in the country, right? Um, then, you know, engaging with the first ladies because each one of them, they do have foundation and some of them really do, are really very passionate. Like for example, the first lady of Kenya is was really focused a lot on cervical cancer in East Africa, right? So Margaret Kenyatta is in, and you know, that's area really where we were really much more successful and you're just trying to align with her and on her strategic goals and how this could also be helping her and she included breast cancer in it. So that was really the success factor, uh, some of the initiative that we have taken in order to do that. And from the laboratory perspective, you know, we provide them with the reagent, we provide them with uh, uh, the machine um, they use and train them on how to use them effectively. So those are the elements that we have done 
but of course you also you have the product and this is like the partnership you know with the government to make sure that you know they they have they bring the product because one of the thing that we have realized is that even if you bring our product to the market and give it for free that doesn't mean the patient will have access it doesn't do anything because in the patient journey there's a lot of step prior to coming to our uh, product and that you know require and this is why it was so important to define what the patient journey and understand where the gaps are in order to bring solution and sometimes it requires partnership with other company partnership with ngos um you know like sometimes like we even had like partnership with the american cancer society to see how can we bring like if patient needed radiation therapy if patient needed like a chemotherapy that's not something that we necessarily have as a company so it requires like multi level partnership and in order to bring solution to those patients and at the end of the day you know they're able to to get through the, their journey and get to the medicine and save their lives so that's that's how uh, we were approaching it yeah i can see that is it's really really a holistic approach where you know you approach every possible angle so to speak of the patient journey to make sure that you know you can capture them right from from the caregivers the healthcare professionals all the way to um you know to the government level where you show the importance of not treating that and how that would have some effects and some incidents on on the economy in the end right absolutely and you know the governments you know they may not understand cancer but they understand numbers <laughs> exactly that's why it's important to have the data the data is always important do the research and show the numbers absolutely you know like having the data and you know uh, the challenges in africa is data is one of the biggest challenge yes that was my next question you know how did you come around that <laughs> yes because what we realized is there's no case cancer registries in in Africa in the hospital right everything is on paper and you can find the papers i mean falling everywhere sometimes you see even in the lab you take a, a sample like you send a patient to a surgeon they do a surgery they collect the sample send it to the lab they do whatever testing they have you know it's not like a comprehensive testing that sometimes doesn't really conclude to anything or like a good good conclusion that will enable an effective treatment for the patient right if if, if a patient comes in go through surgery and you have your lab and you were waiting for result first of all you may lose the patient because you know those patient they may go back 100 kilometers back to their villages and and so and it's taking so long to get the result but also the result answers even available so it never goes back to the doctor right and then you will never know and this is why you see some of these women it it is terrible they 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 just go back home after surgery go back home and just to die sometime right and then when other women see those things they will never have the courage to come to the hospital never and this is why you see people like with breast cancer because these are you know certain type of cancer you know in early stage if you capture it very quick there's something you can do about it but if there's a fear and there is a stigma or seeing their other fellow you know women uh going through that there's that that fear that sinks in and that will is a total barrier to access total barrier to access so data generation was dif- difficult and we had to, at some point we even like providing lab, lab uh, like a laptop to the hospitals hiring someone who actually can collect those <laughs> electronically at least so we can help but it's a, it's a bigger problem than that right so i think data 
data is, is really a huge challenge in Africa. So what other you know, challenges do you see that are perhaps something easy and that can be addressed quite quickly, but with a big impact? First of all, I think we need to have like at the highest level, a willingness to address this from a policy perspective. Developing policy and strengthening really the pharmaceutical system can improve access to medicine um, in, uh, in, in, in the continent, uh, in my opinion. Now, if you ask me, what can we do? What's easiest? In, in market where the health system is so poor, uh, the infrastructure is really poor and it's not that advanced. I mean, even in the US and other developed countries, you have challenges, you know, market access challenges. Um, in my opinion, I think everything, at least in those markets in Africa, we should focus. And I call that the low hanging fruit, right? We should focus on prevention and capturing this very early in the disease. And that required um, education, um, you know, awareness campaign and capturing that and having women, uh, because in this case, that's that was the focus, coming to the, you know, to the gynecologist on a regular basis and even like that, and that education is so important, Claire, because what I have noticed in those market is that um, culture is a big thing and women with their breasts, in this case, the breast cancer, is a part of identity of the woman, the African woman. It's a huge part of it. So if something is wrong with it, they tend to hide. And they hide because, you know, like, well, it's part of their identity and they don't want anything to happen. Sometimes they they hide because they don't want to make their family worried. But again, when you hide, you are allowing the disease to progress and you're getting it to a point where it's going to be very difficult to treat and it's going to be more expensive to the healthcare system. So then this is why I'm saying, in my opinion, I think it's getting it early and, uh, and, and you can do that by raising awareness and you raise awareness, uh, working with the, you know, like the community leaders because they have such a, an influence in those, in those communities and, and helping them understand why it is important and what's the benefits of doing that. Right. And as you know, in Africa, you save one woman's life, you're saving a family of 15 or sometimes 20 because they're the strong pillar of the family. So it's really very important that we do that. If they come in a little bit too late, it creates a lot of pressure to the health system that is already weak. You know, that's what can be done as a low hanging fruit, but it requires collaboration. <laughs> and uh, having that widespread public awareness of cancer and don't just be afraid. Can you imagine some people, you, they don't even want to hear the word cancer. If you mention it, it's just like scare everybody out. That's not okay because if you don't want to hear about it, but it's there, it's there, then you, you, you won't do anything about it. So this is why I'm saying that collaboration among the countries is number one raising that widespread public awareness and, you know, increasing the budget allocation for cancer. Because what one thing we have realized is that there's no budget for cancer. So when you come and have this partnership with the government, what they do, 
well, they understand the value. They see, okay, you have some issues that, but we don't have budget. So they will take it from a budget that was allocated to TB, for example, because infectious disease is important. So they budget with that. Uh, but then all of a sudden, if there is an outbreak of TB, then they will just reroute that budget to the TB because you public health issue. So they will go for the most impact. It's actually creating more problems because for those patients that you have studied treating their cancer, it's horrible to stop them in the middle of the treatment because, you know, it's a cycle. Some of them, if they have like an 18-month cycle, if someone already has like a, a four to five-month cycle and you stop because you do not have the product anymore, it's even worse than not treating them, right? Because you're giving a hope to someone, they start feeling better, but you need to continue to get them to the other side where they are in remission. But if you do not have the medicine because there's no money, it's terrible. And this is why I think, you know, having a budget allocation to it is very important. But also I think in Africa, we have amazing doctors, right? Very resilient. However, the, the challenge is the infrastructure. And because of that, you see a lot of those good doctors leaving the continent and going somewhere else. So we need to combat that brain drain phenomenon happening in the continent. And also because of that, you know, like you have like this huge population, you know, the, the doctor-patient ratio, we need to improve it. Uh, so those are the things I'm thinking. But also now in this era where we are, um, incorporating technology into healthcare, like digital healthcare, right? Because if we have, you know, everybody now has a, has an iPhone or has a, has a smartphone in Africa, I think that can help with data capture and seeing, okay, where the challenges are. Um, and then being able to not only being following up those patients, but also capturing them early in their disease and solving that problem. And I think uh, that will also like uh, uh, relieve a little bit of the pressure from the health system. Now I'm wondering from your perspective, right, from the experience you have and working both, you know, on, on the African continent and outside, how do you see this whole COVID pandemic? Everything is kind of um, slowed down and put on pause. And how does that affect the whole uh, access to medicine? I mean, the pandemic has really created unprecedented challenge um, and created huge dis disruption in the production of certain medicine, for example, right? Because now all of a sudden we have this unexpected increase in demand for certain critical medication that, you know, the, the system wasn't ready for uh, because manufacturing product takes a long time. There's a lead time to it. Uh, it's not something that we just open the tap and fill the bottle. <laughs> um, so that that's what the pandemic had done, you know. Um, there's challenges. So that, first of all, that unexpected increases in demand for certain medication, um, the disruption, of that production of those product. And even like from a regulatory perspective, there's a delay regulatory oversight of medication production because everything is focused on the pandemic and we needed to address it. So there's, there's a lot, you know, like the health authorities are dealing with, so they have to prioritize. All of those, um, you know, all of those impact access to medicine and even like for patients with regular disease, you know, like for example, you have a cancer patient who's going to the doctor on a regular basis every three weeks to get the infusion. Um, 
but because now the hospital are all, um, you know, overwhelmed because of all of this COVID patient coming in, they're not going in, right? So, so that's access challenge right there. And also like uh, the, the shortages, right? In certain medicine as well, as a result of the pandemic, right? And because we also don't have like that uh, supply chain planning and management is really very inadequate uh, due to the pandemic. And the other thing, you know, that we have been noticing is because of the COVID and the vaccine preparation, some raw material that are critical to any uh, manufacturing process are being directed to COVID or to the vaccine. So then we have raw material shortages. And if we don't have that that material, then we cannot be making certain medicine because as part of the manufacturing process, those are absolutely critical. So it's a, it's a huge disruption that COVID has made. Um, and and it's, it's really a dire situation, but you know, we're trying to find solution and uh, like include, including digitalization, I has accelerated that digitizing everything. You know, that's the other side of it. The disruption has created uh, a lot of creativity. Now, trying to link back to your experience so these four and a half years that you were working on the continent, what would you say is your biggest learning, and what would be like the message you want to, you know, give to our listeners on on your whole journey and the whole discussion that we've had today? You know, when I when I left. I was super excited and my passion was just like off the roof, really wanted to, to go and help. What, what I have realized is that maybe I was a little bit naive because what I, I, I went in with the mindset, with the perspective of what I've left, you know, when I left the continent, my understanding of culture, my understanding of challenges, but it wasn't true, right? So I think the first learning is like go with an open mind and don't assume anything <laughs> and be very flexible, right? Um, because the challenges are dire and the challenges are different. They're very diverse. And in every country, in my case, because I walk into different countries, you what you learn here and what was successful for you in the past doesn't necessarily make it successful for the next country that you go to. So you're going to have to work with locals and you're going to have to listen, right? Um, and to be able to understand really what the, what the challenges are in order to bring the solution to it. That was really a biggest, a biggest learning for me because what made me successful in the U.S., doesn't necessarily make you successful in Africa, but it's feasible, it's doable when you work, when you listen, let go of assumption and listen and um, and find a solution together with the local. And it's that and that collaboration is absolutely crucial. It's been an amazing experience for me, and uh, I encourage others in the diaspora. To explore, don't be afraid. It's an amazing, uh, Africa is, is amazing. It's very dynamic. Yes, the challenges are, are, are great. They have great challenges. However, I think we have what it takes to solve those if we work together. And that teamwork and that collaboration is absolutely crucial. But again, I think it's also our, our government's needs to be more aware and, you know, like um, have that willingness to solve this problem. And it's all about leadership, right, Claire? 
if you ask me, is um, the places where we were most successful is when there was that willingness to sit down, come up with solution. And so to finish on a positive note, because you just mentioned leadership there, how would you qualify in the end your, your legacy or at least what you have been able to put together with the teams uh, on the continent? How did that transform patient access to cancer treatment? That's, a, that's really the, one of the things I'm most proud of, right? Because when we went at that time, no patient were getting access to our innovative medicine to, that can actually save lives. So they, they were never put in treatment because, you know, and I don't think if I mention it, you know, like uh, it's extremely expensive and there's no healthcare coverage like in most of the, 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 the countries, right, for cancer treatment, for example. So everything is out of pocket. And you can imagine people, um, you know, had to make the decision between feeding my family or treating my wife cancer, which is horrible, right? So... For me, uh, what what happened as part of that journey is, and working with with all the work that we have done with the different stakeholders, building that capability, raising awareness, treating patient, we came from zero to two thousand patients being being put on treatment. And number two, it's like we put the foundation with that holistic health healthcare approach right, into the system. And now it is continuing and taking it to the next level. The work is still ongoing. Yes, I came back. Um, but there's so many other people working very hard in the continent, engaging every single day to help patients. Um, so that really makes me happy because myself and my team, you know, we were on the ground doing that. We, we really laid the foundation and opening up the door and even like uh, having the basic that can, you know, that can help, you know, um, the patient and also the doctors and even like the, the governments, right? So now we're expanding it uh, to other, other countries and they're seeing the benefit. So I, that's really the legacy. And also even, you know, like um, helping people, right? And uh, developing capabilities, even, you know, for those employees of the company that was in the continent and they were focusing on other product in the past, but now bringing that innovation, developing those leadership capabilities uh, so that they can take it to the next step. That's those are the things I'm really very proud of. And um, that's really the highlight, you know, of my, of my career and during this journey. It hasn't been easy all the time, but I always think about that picture I've seen back in April 2015 in Basel when somebody showed me of a picture of a woman with her breast cut off um, and sent home. And I just couldn't, I couldn't stop anymore. And even when things were hard, that's what I was thinking about and it was what kept me going. So what I would encourage others, you know, Uh, think about those patients. They nobody's ad advocating for them, and think about the impact you can have on others because it's not you know it's beyond that woman that you are helping. Even if it is one, think about the family that you're helping and those kids that their situation if their mothers is not there anymore. For me, that's that's what it is, and I have learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself, but then, you know my my intent, my goal is really to go back. Um, so I'm going to encourage everyone who's listening, don't be afraid. There's a lot that can be done in Africa, but it requires all of us to work together. And so just before we, we, we close our conversation, 
Uh, what I like to do with all my guests, I always like to ask them a bit about, you know, what they like listening to in terms of music or what books they read. So I have three very short questions for you. So the first one is, what music are you listening to very often these days? Or if you're not a person who listens that much to music, but rather a bookworm, what book are you reading right now? Well, I love listening to music. And uh, recently I've been listening quite a bit to just like uplifting music. I love, um, you know, Bobby McFerrin. And there's this, this song called Don't Worry, Be Happy. And in the song, he says, every life, we have some trouble. And if you worry, you make it double. (laughs) 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 You know, so every every morning, you know, and and especially with the pandemic, with all the challenges that that we all have been through, that's something that, you know, I I just like putting in the morning and listen to, right? Um, I also love, you know, Flavor. He's a a, um, Nigerian uh, singer and because he's really very upbeat and I love dancing if I want to distress you know and even sometimes when I, I want some cardio that's the music that I listen to <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a great distresser and there's one so it's time to party uh, and he has like a, a list of songs but his name is Flavor I love to listen to him I also love Beyonce um that I listen to sometimes and then uh, you know when I'm homesick I like to listen to Yusunduru you know he's my home my home uh, countryman <laughs> my second question is do you have a specific song or or even perhaps a band or a singer um that was special for you at a specific time in your life something that you really fondly remember yes and uh, it's, it's back in Africa and it's Salif Keita. I don't know if you heard of that. Uh, I love Salif Keita. Salif Keita is from Mali and my mom is from Mali as well. And uh, that's the song that was always, his songs are always being played in my household when I was growing up, right? And um, my mom just loves Salif Keita and always listening to him. And of course she understands the language better than we do. And she was just like, that's the song I I always remember. And I remember during my wedding, that's my, that was the entry. That's beautiful. And third and last question. Do you have like an all time favorite, either a song or an album that you would recommend for everyone to listen to? You know, I, I love, I listen to all, all sort of music. And um, the all time favorite for me is really Bob Marley, Women No Cry. <laughs> That's all time favorite for me. So, Ndi, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. It has been such a beautiful conversation. I, I know we've been speaking already in the past, but today it brought me to another level. I got to know you as well a bit better and to understand your, your background and your journey as well. So thank you so much for spending the time with me. And I really look forward to staying in touch with you. Oh, thank you so much, Claire. This has been a really amazing conversation. I totally enjoy it. And, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity of sharing my journey uh, with you and uh, to the listeners. And hopefully that, you know, that will inspire others, you know, to, to think at least, you know, about their journey. Absolutely. That, that's the goal of this whole podcast series. And, and your story is quite exceptional as well. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, you're very welcome, Claire. You're very welcome. Thank you. That was episode 22, a conversation with Ndeyi Makalu. 
It was really insightful to understand the issues she faced when she set off on her mission to challenge the status quo for access to innovative cancer care and the learning she got from it, such as be open-minded, listen, let go of assumptions, and find solutions together with the local stakeholders. Because in the end, every country's situation on the continent is unique. Another important learning is how this experience made her stronger and more passionate. That's simply amazing. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening to this new episode. Join me again in two weeks for another conversation around market access in Africa with a new guest who recently co-founded a healthcare consulting firm specifically focusing on Sub-Saharan Africa. Don't forget to follow us on social for previews of upcoming guests episode, but also for our new live events. Check us out on Facebook at Narratives of Purpose, on Instagram at Narratives of Purpose underscore podcast, and on LinkedIn at Narratives of Purpose podcast. If you like our show, do share it within your network and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure you also sign up for our newsletter on our homepage so you can stay informed about all our activities. Until the next episode, take care of yourselves, stay well and stay inspired. This podcast was produced by Tom at Rustic Studios.